This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. And welcome back to the Summer Seminar Series. This is Matt Caraccio of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. And in this Summer Seminar Series, we continue to explore the player problem solver paradigm. What is it that the players on the field are experiencing? What is the problems that they're tasked to solve? And joining me in this episode, I am completely honored as again, I've invited some of the players, you know, some of the people that have really impacted me significantly. I am just honored to invite Mr. Fergus Connolly onto our show. Dr. Connolly, you are not only uh, one of the more influential people in my development as an evaluator and just overall coach, but but you really are changing the game. And you are the author of a book that everybody should be reading, Game Changer. If you haven't gotten that book, it is probably on your must-read list this summer, as well as 59 Lessons. But Dr. Connolly, just to begin this discussion, if you don't mind, I just want to welcome you, but also talk a little bit about a course that you are facilitating, which is the programming in team sports, principles and concepts of preparing training. Dr. Fergus Connolly, welcome. And I'm just going to lay the floor out to you so you can talk a little bit about that item. Oh, thank you. Well, um, thanks, Matt, and thanks for having me. I, um, yeah, I put the, the course together um, to basically take some of the, the ideas that I'd presented in Game Changer and go into them in a little bit more detail. Um, two things that were really important were um, looking at player development, so looking at player profiling, um, you know, what makes up the player. So going into the idea of the tactical, technical, physical, and psychological understanding of the player. And then the area that I focused in quite a bit of detail was then on the, you know, constructing the week. So what do... What do we, how do we construct a week so that you win every week and you continue to improve? Um, what do the days look like? And how do you incorporate tactical training, skill and technical training alongside the physical? Because they're, they're not separate. And what do they look like? And in the course, I go through examples from um, you know, college football, NFL, um, as well as showing examples from the English Premier League and, and rugby, and just showing lots of different examples that you know coaches can use because everybody's situation is going to be slightly different. And some of the things that I think are really interesting uh, that people might find um, new to them is one is how do you manage short weeks and long weeks? You know, if you've got a, a Thursday game. Um, or you've got a um, a long week off, and then managing your non-playing roster, your second string. How do you, over the course of the season, ensure that they're kept fit, uh, kept playing at the same intensity? Because you know, as the season goes on, you could argue that those players are going to determine how you finish your season. You know, you know, God forbid you get an injury to a key player. Or as games continue in, um, you know, late in the fourth quarter, and you, you have to rely on, uh, you know, players to step in for fatigued players, their their ability to maintain your game intensity, to understand and to be able to play, is going to determine how well you finish the season. Um, whereas your first string, obviously, are going to determine how well you start. So um, those are some of the examples uh, that I go through, and it uh, the the course gives me a great opportunity to explain it verbally. Um, there are no subtitles though for the accent, but um, yeah, it just gives me a great opportunity just to explain firsthand, direct to uh, to the viewer um, what the ideas are and the principles behind it, because. You know, as we were speaking earlier, it's really about explaining the principles and helping people understand so they can use it for their specific situation. Well, you know what, Dr. Connolly, and that goes back to a lot of what we had spoken about uh, previously. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to our summer seminar series from last year, uh, Dr. Connolly is gracious enough to make a reappearance on the podcast. And that series, I think, in a lot of it was talking about Game Changer and this idea that the principles that guide the game. Um, to refer back, though, uh, to your 
to your comment just earlier about the principles that guide even preparation, I'm curious in terms of those principles, in terms of thinking about what the player actually needs to be prepared for, whether they're first string, second string, um, wherever they fit within the overall framework of your team, your organization, and your plan for winning. Um, what what are the, some of the things that we need to be aware of in terms of the preparation? Because I would assume that those are some of the things for all of our listeners out there that we need to be aware of when we're watching them execute and behave on the field. Yeah, so um, I'm just finishing off this uh, book series I did with uh, Cam Jossi. And what, one of the things that we really spent a lot of time on was looking at player profiling. So, you know, think of scouting or opposition scouting. But um, one of the, the sections, the fourth section, has a series of templates that we put together for, for scouting players, for profiling players, because, you know, your player who is fit, fast, and strong, if he has a day off, well, he's going to go to the weight room or do speed work, but that may not be his limiting factor. And to develop players, athletes, people, we constantly need to work on the, the single thing that's holding them back the most. And in some players, it could be technical. In some players, absolutely, it can be physical. In other players, it could be emotional control. So how do we, first of all, profile that? And then how do we develop it? Those are the key things. And it's always individual. But that's truly what's going to help your team win is by constantly uh, improving those limiting factors. You know, you can call them weaknesses, but I, I hate calling them weaknesses because I, over the years I've seen players, you know, use language where they'll say things like well i'm just not fast or i'm just not you know i just can't do that or that's that's my weakness well no it's not it's something that we can develop now it may never become a strength and in many cases you don't want it to become you know to focus on it becoming a strength but you do want to ensure that it's not holding a player back um and so I think that's really, really important for coaches to be able to. And it's not about making it complicated. It's about creating a really simple model. And we give examples uh, for high school coaches, just a really simple, um, you know, one page where you can profile your players through to college, through to the pros, which obviously go into it in a lot more detail. But being able to help profile your player and understand what is limiting their development and how can we work on you know, improving them. Well, I I think the interesting word there for me was development. And it's something that I've really invited at least into my own world of evaluation a little bit more. Can you, can you unpack a little bit of the dichotomy that exists, at least in terms of people's understanding between weakness and development? What does it mean for something to be developmental as opposed to weakness? Do do weaknesses really exist or is that something that we conveniently subscribe to when we're trying to evaluate a player? I'm just curious on your perspective. Um, I think it, so it's, it's interesting. Like when you, uh, you know, a lot of this is just based on my experience working with different teams and with some teams we had very, very skillful players, but with most of the teams I worked with, we had players who were physically, um, you know, very well developed. And we thought that that was the key secret. So, you know, whether it was with, you know, rugby teams or soccer teams or, um, you know, and later then with NFL teams, the idea was that, well, we can compensate and we can always beat the opposition if we've got the fittest, fastest, strongest team. But you slowly realize, and it becomes pretty apparent to you that, you know, that's not always going to be the deciding factor. In fact, um, against the best opposition, your physical fitness is not going to be the deciding factor. It's your technical ability, your skill. Or, but in most cases, it's actually psychological. It's, you know, do, does the player have the emotional control to play on the big day? Do they have the cognitive ability to, you know, to, to recall players? Um, or are they spiritually and socially part of the team? Um, so that's where it came from. And and so I don't think, I don't like using the term weakness because I think that creates a preconceived notion in both the player and the coach's head that this is something that cannot be improved. I think almost everything can be developed um, to some degree if we've if we just broaden our understanding of the area so, for example, if you've got a player that, 
um, em, has emotional issues, perhaps when the pressure comes on, well, we can improve that because we can practice it in training. We can practice it, um, uh, you know, during practice. We can create scenarios that put him under a lot of emotional pressure and help, you know, develop his understanding or develop his ability to tolerate pressure uh, so that then when he goes to the game, he can recall um, and he can rely on that developed skill set. Um, and that's the way that I, I, you know, I like to look at it because one of the challenges that you have in sport today is that, um, uh, and, it, and it's a reflection of society. It's a kind of a disposable society. You know, if we don't have a player, we'll, we just go get another player rather than realizing that the player we have is very, very close to what we want. And we can just, if we can figure out what the switch is, understand it, flip that switch now we've got this player who's you know 95% exactly what we want or 100% the player we want so how do we do that and that's what development is uh, it takes a little bit of work but it's possible no and 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 i i would love to build off of this because i think that's one of the things that when we're observing players on the field and we're trying to understand you know they're very close and what are some of the obstacles or problems that they might be kind of getting hung up on that's the thing that I think is fascinating to discuss. I mean, you spoke about psychological and you talked a little bit about the cognitive. And I think you were kind of also alluding to that kind of sociocultural element that mm-hmm. exists as well. And, and I, and, and of course my experience is <laughs> nowhere, nowhere near, nowhere near re- remotely uh, close to yours. So I would just wonder when you're talking about some of those pressures that might be existing at the professional ranks, what what are some of those things that that could be um, manifesting themselves on the field as quote unquote developmental issues or weaknesses, but may or may not be really just you know based psychologically in terms of the pressure that they might be handling on or off the field? What what is some of that that we could kind of glean or should be aware of when we're watching the game? Well, um, you know, I had this conversation with. I still remember it with Justin Smith at the 49ers and we were talking about, you know, the fact that he had, I don't know, maybe at that stage 11, 12, 13 years in the league. And I used to joke with him, you know, I can make you fitter, faster, stronger. I can even improve your personality, Justin. But what I can't do is I can't give you the years and years of experience. So, you know, your role in supporting these elite players who have that experience is to improve their health, their lifestyle, to allow them exploit all those years of experience, habit. And what I'm really talking about is talking about intuition and instinct mm-hmm. to allow them to rely on that so that in the, in the extremely fast microseconds of a game, they're free to react instinctively. Now, that's at the elite end, but still, even at high school, like, I mean, I've worked with kids who have, you know, challenges in lifestyle challenges or family challenges off the field and in their challenges are very much the same it's about helping them understand that you know on the football field has similarities with life there are things that are going to challenge you emotionally but you have to remain calm and play off instinct as well and with those kids particularly at the high school level you know i've used analogies and imagery where i'm trying to explain to them that you know, you want to remain calm in battle. And I really, really simply, I would use examples of um, different levels going through. So I would, you know, show them, you know, this particular kid, I, I would show him an image of a caveman and I would say, okay, who is this? And he'd go, well, it's a caveman. I go, okay. So when he goes into battle, does he think? And he would go, no. Does he just swing everywhere and hit at everything? And he'd go, yes. Okay. And then I would show him an example of, um, you know, the movie 300 now it's okay so what's this oh this is this is 300 okay what do you know about the spartans and he would explain well they were really dedicated and etc and so, and then i would show him an image of you know um uh, a marine a u.s marine and i would say okay what are the differences between these three levels and he would say well you know the caveman isn't controlled the spartan is really controlled but at the end like i mean he sacrifices himself okay and then the marine well they're really organized um, you know, they're very committed, 
but they're very disciplined. That's what I was trying to get to him. And then I was trying to explain. So then after games, I would ask him, okay, so how did you play today? Did you play like a caveman, a Spartan, or a Marine? And he could connect with those images, you know, emotionally and cognitively understand what it was I was trying to explain to him was, you know, you've got this wonderful skill set, but on the field, you have to be able to manage yourself, manage your emotions through these different levels and play like, like a US Marine. And that was what I was that that's how in a really simple way, without going into, you know, talking about the amygdala, talking about neurochemistry or, or anything, just use those uh images with him to help him understand that in on the you know between the white lines, you have to maintain that discipline and you and that was very helpful for him, not just actually on the field, but at school as well, to understand that in in school and in life. You know, things are going to be difficult, but you have to use that discipline um, and rely on that discipline to succeed. So out of curiosity, just to just to try to maybe, you know, direct discussion to a little bit of evaluation, um, should we be looking for points within a game that might be of intense kind of pressure in order to kind of unpack or at least not unpack, but not even assess. That's maybe the wrong word, but but maybe get a maybe glean some insight into a player's kind of uh, you know psychological makeup. Is that fair, or is it or is it unfair? Because that seems to be where a lot of a lot of people kind of point to is like you look for points of pressure and understand how the player behaves. Is that a fair way of going about it, or is that a little short sighted? Um, I think what happens is that they present themselves. So, you know, what what is pressure for one player might not be for another. But mm-hmm. so what you're doing is you're looking at points of weakness or uh, gaps in the player's performance. So, mm-hmm. you know, some players can might never show it. And some players might make a mistake. But the question then becomes, why was that mistake made? It might not have been psychological at all. It might not have been emotional. It might simply have been physical. Or it might have been that they misinterpreted the play. In other words, it was just cognitive. They, they just didn't perhaps either either hear the play. It could be something as simple as that. So, yes, yeah, so you have to be very, very careful. But there are times when a player will make an error, you know, will actually commit a foul, will, you know, pull a jersey, um, mm-hmm. will maybe be still playing the previous play, um, you know, or be caught up on a mistake that they made in the previous play. So those are the things that you're looking for. And yes, obviously you have to be careful. And it's not a case of, you know, we're not psychologists, we're not psychiatrists, we're not, you know, um, judging people or putting them into boxes. What we're trying to do is trying to understand how the player reacts to certain situations that they find themselves in. And then can we recreate that in practice and then give them clues to manage it a little bit better? And you know what? I mean, taking that point and maybe kind of shifting a little bit over, not too far to the right or to the left, but maybe to to a place that's comparable, at least in talking about some of the actual constraints on a player's behavior that may or may not be, like we said, pressures on the field or off the field, but they could actually be from understanding and some of those other elements that that could be existing within the actual confidence that they may express in terms of executing their actions whether it be technical or tactical would would you would you terribly mind kind of for our audience and I know we did this last year but I I still think it's a a very salient point we hear a lot about tactical versus technical errors or tactical versus technical decisions um, all those things that those words, tactical and technical, are very much thrown around, and sometimes I think indiscriminately when they should have a little bit, they should have way more discrimination attached to them. What is the difference between tac- tactical and technical? Well, we we're speaking about Dub Maddox earlier, you know, and um, from a, a, a tactical perspective, we're talking about positioning on the field, movement in relation to, we're talking about the gross. Um, you know, view of the player, their ability to find space, read a play, react. And, you know, as we all know, um, players are going to break down and they have to play what's in front of them. Technical is looking at the player's execution of specific skill um, in that moment and how do they use their body best to execute 
um, a preferred outcome. So you you know you're talking about everything from alignment to a running back, um, sidestepping to rec- receiver catching a ball, and it's how do they execute now? The execution of the skill always has to have a tactical element to it because we can stand and catch balls from the jugs all day, but it, it's not the same as actually playing in practice. So it's helping understand um, without being too reductionist, understand where the player is is breaking down, so to speak, or where they're most cha- where they're challenged the most, so that we can actually help the player develop. Um, and continue to improve. So if a player is having trouble, for example, sidestepping to the left, well, we create either tactical games or tactical drills that force him to sidestep to the left. um, And we help correct him and develop him so that he gains that ability and confidence to do it in a game. And eventually it becomes instinctual. It becomes intuitive. Well, no. And I, and I love what you just said there. And that was actually my follow-up question, which you actually just answered, which was you're trying to then artificially or actually not, I don't even want to say artificially, but you're actively trying to create challenge points within practice in order to create a more functional player on the field. Do you, is that a fair statement, Dr. Connolly? Is that, is that right? Yes, Fergus. Yes, but absolutely. It's um, that's exactly what you're trying to do. And the one of the secrets to doing it is without having without perhaps even telling the player that that's what you're doing so if you've got a running back that you're trying to develop to step off you know step to the left uh, or step off the left don't talk to him talk to the talk to the linebacker that's you know play that's opposing him in the drill and tell him i want you to force him onto his left foot this time okay don't talk to and see does the player start to develop that ability and praise the running back this way you're not making the player conscious of what he may perceive as a weakness he doesn't even know you're just setting up these drills so that the so so that he's been forced into this experience and now he's starting to step onto whichever side you want him to develop more and more and praising the running back praising the player you're trying to improve all the time. Therefore, you're building confidence. You're not drawing attention to something. He doesn't even necessarily need to be aware of, of it. In fact, sometimes it's better off that they don't because we, you know, we all know that if you, the, the worst thing you can do is have a player who thinks too much or who overthinks, like consciously thinks about what they're going to do because then they're, they're, they slow up, they pause, and they'll, he'll end up tripping over himself. Well, okay. So let, let me ask you a question as we kind of shift gears, as we get kind of to this kind of what I would consider kind of the meat and potatoes of this discussion, forgive the, you know, forgive the analogy for everybody out there who does not like meat and potatoes. But my question to you would be is, as we're then trying to take this kind of, I guess I want to say a more, not worldly approach, but a more holistic approach towards understanding the player and all the different constraints psychological, physical, emotional, um, just tactical things that are happening on the field, all of those constraints, all of those, those information sources that are feeding their behavior, shaping their behavior. As we begin to kind of unpack, let's say what happened in a previous contest, how do we begin to, to, to shape the engagements that we see on the field? How would you say that? I mean, you've obviously worked with a varied array of sports with various rules, but the engagements that occur in terms of, let's say, following up the following week with with um, maybe changes in practice protocols or anything that we might do to help enrich their skill development, how do we begin to unpack the previous performance to inform us of the next week? So the simplest way for coaches to do this is to just, you know, with an Excel spreadsheet, have you know the players listed down along the the left hand side, and have five columns: tactical, you know, game sense, game intelligence; technical or skill; uh, physical and psychological. And then on the other side of that, just have one column uh, with for text. And so, opposite the player uh, player's name, you have the opportunity to color code those four boxes green yellow or red so tactical technical physical psychological and really what you're looking for is you're trying to 
you want green across them all, of course, but there might be um, one of those boxes that's a red. So it might be physical, for example, or it could be psychological. So opposite my name, it could be all green, but it could be psychological could have a red and that's based on coaches subjective assessment now we can make this a lot more complicated but in its simplest form that's what it is players down left hand side four columns and then on the fifth column in that that text you just highlight what aspect of for example my psychological performance that was limiting me so it could have been inability to recall a play inability to forget or brush off a previous poor error um, or it may be, uh, if it's psychological or if it's part of the spiritual or social, uh, doesn't, you know, congratulate or encourage teammates. And so long as this is a working document that everybody has access to, we can, we actively support and encourage the player when he does that in the positive. And so you keep it very, very simple with one or two things that you're really at, what is the limiting factor? What is the one thing that is holding this player back the most from developing? It could be technical. It could be, you know, like I said, sidestepping, could be handling, could be tactical inability to, to, you know, find space on right-hand side or, or whatever, or it could be, um, you know, physical. It could be simply poor uh, starting speed. And again, that's something that you will work on both on the field and in the weight room. And again, that's the, sorry, that's just one other thing is like, particularly from the psychological perspective, these are things that you can develop in the weight room as well as on the field the, you know, they shouldn't, you, it's not a case of separating one from the other. This is a holistic program that every coach has access to and an understanding that this is the one thing with this player that we're really trying to develop and encourage him in and be positive about it. It's too easy to be negative. Is it, and and <laughs> well, so when we use, and so yeah. when we use when we use terms like constraints or weaknesses, we 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 tend to you know see them as negatives. No, they're things that we're developing. They're limiting factors. We're developing. We're improving the player in this. No, and and I would agree with that. And I think that that's sometimes the misinterpretation of words at mm-hmm. times. Like they they yeah. look at constraints as being negative, and and in fact, we're talking about literally um, the best way I heard it was recently from actually Dub Maddox, where he talked about it is almost with bowling. It's the bumpers the bumpers on the railings, you know, when we know we're off course, that's all they're, that's kind of all they're providing is just a, a framework. And, and just to take you to a point that you were talking about, I, I, you mentioned a lot, at least in your new course, which you have out there, which is, is, is fantastic is, is this idea of continuous development. And you talked about the weight room in your last discussion here. Can you take me inside of the idea of what continuous development really means in terms of players? Yeah, so one of the things that, um, you know, is that the development of the sport, like if you were to chart the development of football over the last 10, 15 years, it has exploded in complexity. So backroom teams have, you know, exploded beyond size. You know, you're talking about, you know, some pro teams have two buses just with staff alone. Um, so it's it's a lot more complex or a lot more variables. But when it comes to the physical development of players, we have to remember that the player's physical ability on the field is the only thing that matters. Everything um, that you do around that is to support their physical ability on the field. So I actually don't care what someone's squat or bench is in the weight room. And you know, I've had you know people come to me with charts comparing players from other teams saying, oh, look at how much he squats, look at how much he benches. But yeah, but watch the player on the field. If they can't transfer or they're not using it functionally on the field, it does, I don't care what they can. Now, I do want to see improvement, but I really want to see it on the field. And so some of the best players that you have, some of the strongest, some of the fastest players will perform strongest and fastest on the field. And that's where the starting point is. So all of the... Um, efforts from uh, any at least you know subjectively and certainly objectively should be focused on measuring the player's performance on the field you know from a physical perspective the weight room is there to support it and one of the things that you know i've said repeatedly and more and more coaches are adopting it is that you want maximum effort in the weight room but you don't necessarily want to see pbs in the in the weight room all of the time you want to see the pb on the field 
you want to see the player physically dominant on the field, the weight room is there to support it. Well, and and that takes me kind of almost full circle in terms of our discussion. I mean, we're talking about what we want to see on the field versus really what the reality of the human movement system and the player themselves may be experiencing. And I'm wondering is if we want to see transfer, if we really want to see that on the field and we're trying to understand the players, uh, you know, areas of development, weaknesses, whatever you're, whatever you're terming it, I, I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of development, but in terms of those things and, and bringing that transfer to the field, what do you think are the, the kind of, principal elements that we need to be kind of kind of crafting in our practice environments to ensure that level of transfer well you know the the very first thing is you you start with the game start with the athlete's performance on the field and with every single coach i've ever worked for you know it's i will always defer to them because they know the sport they know the game they've played it and everything you do must be to support them and to support the coach. Um, and, you know, I often get asked the question, well, can a player get strong enough or fast enough playing the game? Of course they can. Yes, they can. But can you help develop them? Yes, you can help develop them in the weight room. You can help develop them with some sprint work. You can uh, identify issues that need to be improved. But if I had only had one way to get a player better, stronger, faster, fitter at, at playing the game, I would just play the game and you support it with all of the other things. Everything else is there as a support system for practice. So, you know, to answer your question, you start with planning practice, start with planning the week and then the weight training, any extra speed work is supplementary to that. And if you've got a good practice plan developed, a good practice program, it will take care of a lot of that. You know, it, it will already include mobility work. It will include some speed work and like weight training or anything else will be supportive of what is done on the field. It is never the primary starting point for any training program. Now, in football and rugby, and it's never, ever, should never be the primary starting point when you sit down to plan your, you know, your schedule or your practice plan. Well, and, and that leads me kind of to a point that I think that we hear a lot in in the world of uh, player development and performance, which is, of course, if if you're telling me playing the game is the best thing to do, then why not play the game all the time? What what is it about playing the game as a kind of a a moniker or a uh, a bumper sticker for what we should be doing in practice? What do you think is misunderstood about that comment? Well. When you, when you play the game, that's where you can identify the limiting factors best because, you know, you could take um, all of your players into the weight room and test them and you'll find, whatever, 20 players who are possibly weak or not strong or don't pass some, you know, arbitrary metric that somebody made up. And that's fine. But you put them on the field, you're going to find a, a different 20 players who physically don't perform strongly those are the ones i'm concerned about those are the ones i want to develop and you use the weight room to support their development so you add an extra stress in from a strength training perspective in the weight room and then you bring them back to the field and you keep doing it in an iterative fashion that's how you keep developing because one of the the things that is often overlooked is we only have a limited amount of time with the players so it's not a case of maximizing weight room training for everybody. It's about optimizing the time we have to develop that player. So I could have 10 players in front of me. There might be three of them are not going to get any better by spending more time in the weight room, but I can certainly improve them through mo mobility work. I can improve them perhaps through um, even just video work, classroom work, or I can develop help improve them through speed work so it's about the optimization of resources and time as a resource you know what is the best way to improve this player and yes there are some players who absolutely need to spend more time in the weight room but in many cases um that's not always the solution well and that's that's the whole thing i think as we kind of Begin again, uh, you know, as as I've said in the past, I mean, you're so extremely generous with your time. I don't want to monopolize it. I mean, I, I just have a, a couple of lingering ideas and questions that that maybe I think some of our listeners are kind of kind of maybe percolating at this point, which is 
okay, so we're saying play the game. We're saying that's important. We're saying that obviously strength training can be something that's there to support us in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. But my question to Dr. Connolly, if I were a listener, is if I'm watching a guy on the field and I know he's strong enough, fast enough, and big enough to play the sport, but yet he's unable to solve certain problems, what am I supposed to do with that information if I were trying to classify him in terms of his competency or skill level in a sport? How do I begin to kind of weave these elements together? Brilliant, because this is a scenario you're going to see time and time again where guys are you know, strong, physically strong, strong in the weight room and strong in the field, but they're poor problem solving. Then this is where you, you know, identify the area, whether it's a lineman who's having trouble on, you know, one side or another or his poor technique, then you create either drills or games, preferably game scenarios, where you coach him through and he gets better technically. And what you will find then is as his technique improves, he's actually appears stronger. Really, all you've done now is you've improved his technique, his leverage. So now he's actually getting better and it's demonstrating, it's manifesting itself in greater strength on the field. Um, so it's it's and again I would go back to that chart where in that player's case it would be perhaps he would have th- three sorry he would have three green boxes under tactical physical psychological and maybe um, you know the technical one is the one that's either red or yellow you know that's his limiting factor but and then by flicking that switch he actually gets better and appears even stronger even appears even more physical on the field um, and that's a that's a common issue and what why it's very important with young kids are particularly as they go through puberty and they develop very physically strong kids can compensate for poor technique and the poor technique only really becomes apparent when everybody else catches up after the growth spurt that's why it's important to be able to you know that's why good coaches identify players who are very strong but can constantly improving their technique and that's you know that's the value of really good position coaches no and I, and I agree with you and I really like how you pointed out that how at younger ages especially and I think this is something that as I mean becoming from a youth background from a, a middle school background and even high school background at times I can attest to the fact that sometimes we um, I guess I want to say for lack of a better term, we give a certain uh, or we indoct not indoctrinate, but we we give sort of more or less uh, we bequeath a kid uh, a certain level of skill when really it had to do more with their physical capabilities. Exactly, and, exactly. you know, and yes, you, yes. And, and we, we do and, that. Yes, and and you see it, you see it very much at um, at the youth level. Um, it doesn't manifest itself as much at the pros because everybody tends to level out a little bit but that's not to say that you don't focus on physical ability or you don't do weight training not at all because you need to have a certain physical ability to allow you to stay in the game long enough to learn those skills so it is a balance Um, but it's what it what it's really about is about recognizing that you know when you start to spend an excessive amount of time on the physical qualities at the expense of developing, you know, either technical ability or a psychological understanding or emotional control or whatever that might be. And that's where the challenge is. And that's where, you know, like I say, it's just making sure that we don't see all sporting achievements as the result of physical uh, characteristics in team sport. Well, and I would agree with you that that's brilliant as well, because I would ask you then in sort of a a, a summary statement, which is probably hard to do, um, but a necessary question though, Dr. Connolly is a necessary question. Um, What do you, what, what kind of long kind of term takeaways would you leave kind of the listenership here today or even coaches uh, could be evaluators. It could be just fans of the game. What do we need to really kind of integrate in terms of our understanding, whether it be uh, tactical, technical, psychological, physical, socio-emotional? What types of ideas do we really need to take away in terms of being aware of as we come up to this upcoming season? Are there things that you think as a culture, as a culture of sport, 
that we need to be more aware of as we enter this new season? I think the, the most important thing is that when we see a great player, we see a bad player, before we you know, react verbally or we jump to a conclusion, we go, we ask why, why, why? Like why was it great or why was it good? And usually the first answer that's going to come to you is not the right one. You know, as in somebody makes a, a you know, a great break uh, or somebody has a lot of separation and they make a great catch. You know, the first answer is going to be, well, he's very fast or, uh, you know, it was, you know, that's usually our first reaction. We tend to see things as a physical uh, event. But if we dig a little bit deeper, like how and why did he do that? Well, space was made for him by the team or he read the play or he timed his run better or he's actually not that fast because you watch the space was being closed, but he actually created space. So it's always a case of why, why, why? And, you know, this happened to me so many times when I was younger because I would end up working in sports where that were not my first sport. And when I would start um, sitting beside coaches and I would say, wow, he's so fast. And coaches would look at me and go, no, he's actually the slowest guy in the field, but his game intelligence is better. That's why he made space. And so that taught me very quickly to not jump to the first conclusion that I see and to start to understand why do some of those players appear physically more dominant, but it's actually not physical. It's a combination of their game sense, their timing perhaps in some cases, or simply simply the fact that their teammates made space for him at the right time and he exploited it. So it's I think really it's about pausing and asking why, why, why was that great was that a great play or was that a bad play? Uh, and I think that summarizes everything we're hoping to accomplish in the series. And I and I can't uh, I can't say enough on behalf of the listenership, behalf of myself, how much I mean I have I have oodles of notes to go <laughs> to go through <laughs> on this episode alone because I think there are a lot of great takeaways here. And I think for everybody out there that's listening to this, I would suggest beyond anything else, Game Changer is a great place to start. I mean, you just heard it from the author himself. These, this is essentially the entire book. Now, it's not the entire book, of course, but, <laughs> but it certainly is a good portion or snapshot of some of the way in which I think we've interwoven, if that's fair. Um, it's interwoven all the connections between the player, the game, the way in which we kind of shape and, and, and actually physically develop our athletes. All of these elements are inherent in the book Game Changer. And then 59 Lessons, I think, is a really outstanding kind of anecdotal to several of these main events and questions. And I think they provide kind of almost anecdotals, almost parables, if it were, um, mm-hmm. of, of, of several of these ideas. And the course itself is something that I think is something I have on my to-do list. You know, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, Dr. Connolly, it's something I have onto my to-do list. So don't, don't, uh, don't hate me if I haven't taken it yet, <sighs> but it is on my to-do list because these are the principles and ideas that I think these are the questions better yet that we sometimes fail to ask ourselves and they make sense and well, they make sense. Yeah. And one of, one of the things Matt as well is, you know, we were talking before we came on air, um, you know, the, resources are not the definitive solution you know these are really a case of asking questions where to help you know your listeners come to the conclusions and find the solutions themselves and you know yes i'm presenting perhaps different ideas but i i really want the coaches to take them on board to challenge them you know to think differently you mean nobody's going to offend me if they don't <laughs> adopt adopt any of the ideas it, 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 but if it makes somebody think about the game a little bit differently or think about a new idea then i've achieved my goal that's solely it i just want to present these as new ideas based on my experience which is going to be different from everybody has a different experience and i could be wrong and that's good and you want you know coaches to take these ideas to challenge them to develop them to take ownership and just keep getting better because that's really what you know that's what excites me it's about um proposing the a different way of looking at the same thing so that we keep evolving and we keep ultimately making better young men uh, and women who can play the game 
Well, no, and I, and I think that you're hinting upon something that I think is really tantamount to something that I believe in. I think that sometimes we tend to silo sport so often, especially mm-hmm. at the higher levels. And, and unfortunately, that siloing effect creates a non-communal effect, which is directly in opposition to the team aspect that we're trying to convey on the field, which I think that's is, is fascinating. So that's, that's a great point. Like, I mean, and one of the things that I was just thinking about this earlier, you know, as we were talking, what has happened in both in society and football is that we've, we've fragmented uh, the solutions um, to try and create a, a result. So in other words, you know, we've really broken up you know, positional play or strength and conditioning or psychology, which is fine, but it means that the solution that we're presenting to the players is very fragmented. But by creating a more holistic view of the player and of the solution, then we can solve it in a holistic way. So we get to the answer quicker. Um, And that's a really, really important way to solve, uh, to solve problems. We're um, rather than you know, if you've got a problem, we'll just hire one person to solve that problem. Develop the coaches, solve the problem between you as a group, and, and you're you're solving it, you're addressing it in a more holistic manner rather than just bringing in a whole bunch of of, um, of experts. Um, you know, there's a famous story about after the Cold War where when uh, the International Space Station was being constructed, um, it was, or there, were, there was a new section being built, and you know, in this newfound time of collaboration, there was British, French, uh, and American engineers working on building uh, this part of the satellite. So they, what they did was they decided, okay, well, it's too complex to bring everybody together and do this as a team. What we'll do is we'll split it up into different pieces, and we'll send it out, send the project parts out, and everybody can construct their pieces and send it back. So, you know, the designs were were drawn up and then they were sent out. When the parts from the three different centers came back together, um, the French group actually had built their part according to the design the British had, the American had. But nobody had had actually unified the measurements and the British had built it using metric. Their pieces didn't fit together at all with the other two pieces. So the point is in sport, if we segment and we hand off these pieces, yes, the problem might be solved, but it's not going to be solved in a way that fits together as a team. And that's where these holistic solutions are far, far more important and far more effective. I have nothing else to say, except he is the author of Game Changer <laughs> and yeah, 59 Lessons, uh, as, well as, the, as well as the professor and teacher of programming in sports, principles, and concepts of preparing and training. He is Dr. Fergus Connolly. Dr. Connolly, where can we find you? How can we get caught up? And, and dare I ask, what's on the horizon? Well, um, probably the easiest way is on Twitter. So it's at Fergus underscore Connolly or FergusConnolly.com. And um, yes, yeah, so at the minute, I'm just finishing off this. So what what um, so Cam Jossie actually contacted me some time ago. He works with Joe DeFranco and trains a lot of NFL players. And it's about a year ago, you know, he was going through Game Changer and he was rewriting segments and sending them to me and saying, listen, Fergus, this is what I'm doing. And I like there were a few things that he like one of the things I'm not giving this away as a secret, but he's rather than training using drills and doing a lot of conditioning work, he started to adopt the games approach that I had presented in Game Changer for developing his players. And he, what what had happened was he started off by using them in warm-ups. So he'd use small-sided games in warm-ups. He would watch the players' mobility. Then he would work on their limiting factors, their tightness, and then they would go back and they would play games. The following day when they would come in, the players didn't want to do any running conditioning work. They just wanted to continue playing the games. So um, what he would do is he would manipulate the work to rest ratios to develop the fitness of the players. And, you know, as a result, players were less injury prone. They were enjoying the games, even though they were just small sided games. And anyway, so what we decided to do is to put all of this into a series, into a book, but I didn't want to write another huge book like game changer again. So I've re like, we've written the process, which are it's a four book series 
and it's far smaller. It's paperback. It'll be far easier to carry around. And it presents a lot of these different ideas. One of them, like I spoke about, is profiling. Like, how do you profile in a really simple way, like a high school player? But then what does that look like as you continue? Because my idea is eventually what you will see is players will have a performance passport. So a young kid coming through will have this almost like a passport in a very simple manner at high school when he gets to college it'll have a little bit more detail when he gets to the pros but you will be able to see the player's development or the player himself will want to continue his development so that's one aspect the other area is using games and using small-sided games and tactical games to spot technical issues so it could be that for example the player has poor low back strength or poor ankle mobility that's why he's not able to get into a low position to execute his block properly. So how do we spot that and how can we develop that through games? So these are some of the things that I think for the first time, I don't know if they're, I haven't really heard of them elsewhere, but we're putting it together in, you know, based on our experience, putting it together into these manuals. So uh, as soon as I get, uh, as soon as I get the first one off the press, Matt, I'll make sure you get a copy. Well, I mean, I, I think I speak for everybody right now I, in terms of everything we just heard today. And again, if you go back and listen to last year's summer seminar series, which was entirely about football and skill acquisition, um, Dr. Connolly's episode was outstanding. And again, I, I can't I can't reiterate enough. Not only will this series of books potentially add another layer of insight, another layer of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. But also, I think it's going to add another layer of understanding, which I think is sometimes different than insight. I mean, insight can be understanding and and sometimes insight can just be information. Whether or not you leverage that is entirely up to you. But Game Changer, I think, is a very excellent book, a book that many people out there, if you haven't gotten your copy, you need to. If you're not following uh, Dr. Connolly, you should be because his tweets and everything that he posts are really are really are really an extension of of what he publishes and what he believes in and i think they're fantastic fantastic insights there's always nuggets of interest and understanding so i can't speak highly enough on behalf of my listenership as well as myself dr Connolly, thank you so much for being a guest on the saturday sunday football podcast not honored to uh honored to be on thank you very much and if, again if you have any um, inclination to go ahead and take this course, please reach out to me because I'd love to know who's taking uh, the programming and team sports principles and concept of preparing training. I would love to know because I would love to to kind of chat with you as we unpack these ideas because I, I can tell you <laughs> I can tell you he's going to be very modest about it, but uh, his ideas and his questions, uh, Dr. Connolly's questions will always keep you coming back for more. So Anytime we can form a group and, and discuss these ideas, I, I'd be happy to do so. So on behalf of myself, on Dr. Connolly's behalf as well, as well as everybody else out there, I want to say thank you so much for spending your time with us. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope this was informational. I hope it really gives you some questions and some ideas that'll that'll let you enjoy your Saturdays and Sundays this upcoming season and maybe well beyond that into the future much, much more. So on behalf again of myself, as well as Dr. Connolly, thank you for joining us. And please join me next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>